This is the Leadership and Insurance Podcast, brought to you by FinPro Search Partners. Insurance companies are businesses and they need to look for the long term and be sustainable. We went from zero to one and now it's going from one to a hundred. Insurance as, as a concept, as a kind of service, is brilliant. The execution is what we're looking at now. I think the companies that are going to succeed are the ones that are going to understand and master the art of intent. When we talk about innovation, we lean too heavily to think about technology and we don't think about creating a culture of innovation. I think innovation is essentially continuous improvement of existing processes and platforms and product, right? It's got to be easy. It's got to be seamless. Good afternoon and welcome to the Emerging Tech series of the Leadership and Insurance podcast. I'm your host, Gavin Savage, and on this podcast today, I'm very lucky to be joined by co-founder and CTO, Dan, from Ideon. Dan, welcome. Hey. Hey, Gavin. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us. Dan, before we... um... Before we get into talking all things API and you know the the origin of Ideon, the health and benefit sector, and and everything else, um, always a nice place to start. If you could introduce yourself, you know, even pre Ideon, but um, as a whole, how you got into tech and uh, and yeah, how you ended up founding an insure tech in Ideon. Sure. So uh, going way back, and when I was a kid, I was always uh, into into computers. Um, um, built some websites and things in high school, but um, actually decided to study psychology, organizational psychology in, in college. So when I came out of college, started working for a small management consulting firm. And part of what they did was some technology delivery as well. So got sort of re-exposed there. And, you know, through a, a series of, uh, of other, uh, other jobs, ultimately found myself in a position where I could decide, you know, do I really want to become a software engineer um, or continue with, with what I was, was doing before and made the leap into software engineering and found that I, I just took to it really, uh, really quickly, even though I hadn't had as much formal background. So fast forward uh, a couple of years, I joined a very early stage as a, as a co-founder of a company called LifeBooker, which is a technology platform for the health and beauty space, primarily um, around uh, a marketplace for, for local services. So think of uh, a Priceline uh, or a Expedia type thing for booking local services with the airline pricing model. So you would discount dynamically. And did that for a number of years, had some success, uh, grew that company to uh, about 100 people and uh, about a little shy of, of 10 million in revenue, but uh, ultimately decided to, to move on from there. And through my, one of my co-founders there was introduced to my co-founder at Ideon. At the time, we were really focused on provider data. So healthcare providers, which ones are in and out of network, and we, we founded the company as Veracred, which verifying credentials. So the, the vision there was to build a single credentialing company, single API for provider credentials. We ultimately didn't end up fully pursuing that because we found the need for the healthcare data around provider network and participation to be really compelling. 
and sort of the tip of the iceberg in the data problem in the insure tech space in general, specifically around health and benefits. So as we started to sell that into, into the market, we just got a lot of feedback saying this is you know really useful. Can you do other stuff? Can you do, can you get plans? Can you manage eligibility? So doing a member enrollment at the carrier and ultimately really solving for the fact that most insurance carriers, while they were early adopters of technology, have not really kept up um, with the you know, sort of modern development practices uh, and so have some, some tech debt and so don't really have the API connectivity that a lot of the, the startups in the space were, would hope for or are looking for. And that, that's really the role that Ideon fills. Awesome. Thank you. Um, it's interesting going way back to you said you kind of almost fell into software. You never studied computer science. And you know, I always find it interesting, you know, as you know, uh, aside from podcasting, we're a, a recruitment firm. And when I'm asked to look for engineers, that 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 focus on having degrees in computer science is, is so high on the, on, the, on the grading system of what they will accept in terms of speaking to people. But, you know, it just it just goes to show, you know, some of the, the brightest and best engineers don't always have to have studied computer science or, or you know, a relevant degree at, at university. It's um, just interesting kind of rise to that. And, and why was the Appreciate at Lifebooker, there was that health uh, domain um, focus there. But why was this the company that you wanted to then build with your co-founder in the, in the health and benefits space? Was it simply to... Um, utilize the knowledge uh, gained at Lifebooker or was there a kind of bigger why for, for you and your co-founder? So I would say less, at least my initial interest was less on the the health and benefits space specifically and more on the sort of modernization piece of helping to bring this data accessibility to the market for uh, you know a really important problem. But taking what was like really hard for other companies to work with from an API perspective and making it a lot easier for them. So that, that's sort of how I, you know, approached it. Um, over time, obviously, having that connection to people's healthcare and to people's benefits and their, you know, so we're the types of policies that we're helping people to, to purchase and to mm-hmm. use and manage our, you know, health and their dental and vision also some of their voluntary products like accident, critical illness, disability, uh, life insurance, those, those sorts of things at, at the group level. So that is one thing that we, we think a lot about is the you know, importance of the, the work that we're doing in making sure that, that data is correct so that you don't get uh, a person who has an injury and then isn't covered when they expected to or someone who uh, passes away and their family doesn't get the coverage that they had expected to. So this is something that we uh, that we think about a lot and that it keeps me really focused on on this problem space. Mm. And you know, you kind of mentioned the carriers uh, there. You know, they have they have a lot as a carrier to consider across the health space. Um, you know, more and more carriers, yes, have seized that opportunity to adopt things like cloud solutions and SaaS solutions and and of course, the adoption of, of API um, development to support that fast and interchangeable, accurate data. Um, mm-hmm. And of course, at Ideon, that's what the whole, you know, a large proportion is built upon that a really great API solution. You know, the, the status quo, I'm always 
in my kind of geek um, brain is always thinking, where are we with kind of APIs at the moment? I have that conversation a lot with those in the space in terms of, you know, the status quo is very much EDIs are, are still very much prominent and, and there's, you know, by and large, the majority stakeholder, if you're going to compare the two. But, you know, where do you see someone that's so embedded with insurance carriers and, and APIs as a whole, where do you see the kind of future of API development going? Like, you know, do you envision a world where they fully replace EDIs or do they have to live? Uh, we kind of talked, we met in New York a few months back and we kind of scratched the surface on this, but just kind of keen to get your thoughts on where you see the future of this space going. Yeah, so uh, the the challenge with most insurance carriers, really all the insurance carriers that that we work with, which are the majority of the of uh, the major ones, mm. is that their backend systems are not real time systems. So, and this is true of a lot of enterprise architecture, but it's especially true in in the insurance space. And so, what that means is they're built to assume that we're doing a batch process to load things, and typically their first foray into public facing APIs, because they'll have APIs internally to go mm. between system to system, but their first foray into public APIs will really be to put some kind of enterprise message bus in front of their legacy system, because that legacy system was developed over many, many years and has all kinds of rules in it, and they may or may not be fully understood within the insurance carrier. And so just ripping it out and replacing it is very, very risky. And it's not something that they want to do or that they should do it really. Um, so what they're doing is is sort of taking the almost their APIs uh, first pass at it is almost taking each line of the EDI file one at a time almost and reading it in or once each person kind of one at a time and reading it in. Uh, and so the challenge with that is that those are all processed asynchronously, which means that there's not really, you know, when they say real time, that there's not really a way to do real time in that it doesn't commit to a database and respond uh, from an API the way that, that you might uh, you might expect it to. Mm -hmm. So for that to be fully solved for, it's really the insurance carriers will need to modernize their infrastructure and we are talking with a lot of the major uh, largest insurance carriers and also some some kind of up and comers who are are building technology from the from the ground up and there's actually been a lot of movement in that direction over the last say 2 to 3 years that before you know if you go back a few years before that there was a lot of people were really talking about oh we're going to build APIs but really not paying a whole lot of attention to their internal data management process. Um, and now there's been a lot of focus on that data management process. So I believe that over time that, you know, the carriers really will solve for that. Uh, it will take, it's not a short-term solution. It will take a lot of time for that uh, to work its way through. In the meantime, we can accomplish many of the same things that we do via API in sending EDI files. So the way that, that we do that at, at IDEON, is through audit processes. So we'll send over an EDI file, which when you think about it, is not all that different from sending over uh, an API request uh, with the, the major uh, exception being that you don't get back a response to say, hey, this, this passed the basic validation and is queued for processing. Uh, that's effectively what the API does for us uh, with, with yeah. these insurance carriers. Um, so what we do then is we actually work with the carriers for them to expose a census, so the list of the population, all of their um, their plan codes, uh, all of their amounts, if it's a, a volume-based, so you know, a disability would have an amount, uh, that sort of thing. And then we do an audit against that. So we're able to say, well, you know, these 
these 10 members went through correctly and they match what we expect, but this 11th member, well, there's a discrepancy between uh, that member's data as we sent it and what you're reporting back. Uh, and we're able to surface those kind of discrepancies. Um, so all that to say, we're able to actually produce a lot of those experiences that you would expect uh, via our APIs, even if it's EDI on the back end. Um, and you know, to directly answer your question, I think that EDI will be here for a long time. It is current. Uh, recently, we did a study with Limra where we found that EDI is the most common way to send file uh, data, which was not surprising. But we also yeah. found that paper is more. Uh, there are more people using paper than there are using APIs, which wow. was a little bit surprising to us. It's a little bit terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> and you know the, the thing about you guys at Aiden, it's not you, yes, large proportion is you work with carriers, but you also work with insurtechs and. And, you know, these insurtechs, you know, this age of insurtechs that are disrupting the CX, the customer experience, you know, the, the carriers that are, I guess what we're trying to say, you know, the carriers that are, you know, can manage frequency and severity and, and prediction and, uh, you know, really relative, well, I guess, to predictive ratings, the insurance side of things, you know, cutting mm -hmm. costs and, and making competitive policies. But, you know, when you look at, as you mentioned, their real-time connectivity between insurance carriers has, has, has been difficult and it's and APIs is helping that. Like, what do you think the incumbents, because on the insurance side, that's where insurtechs, I think, sometimes from just from, you know, having people on the podcast and being in the space, it seems that maybe underestimate how difficult that insurance side of it is, but they can create because they don't have any... Uh, desperate third-party systems, they don't have any technical debt, and they have the kind of latest and greatest tech, that customer experience side is, mm -hmm. is, 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 is much easier for them to um, build upon. What do you think incumbents need to do to move faster to improve the, the customer experience side of what they're doing? Because they've clearly been in the last five, six, seven, eight years woken up by the disruptors, but you know, as, as someone that works with carriers every other day, like what are you seeing in terms of, of that aspect of how they can get there quicker? So it's not an easy problem to solve because there's debt that's many, many years old. And, and a lot of times it's just a decision that somebody made a long time ago to build this policy admin as a separate system and it's really hard to unwind. Um, mm. Or it's they purchased another insurance carrier and they never fully integrated them technically. They maybe they integrated the products, but they didn't integrate the uh, technology behind the scenes. So we, uh, as I said before, we're, we're really seeing a lot of the major carriers make, start to make those investments. Um, and we're seeing, you know, big commitments uh, in terms of dollars and, and people into up upgrading those legacy systems. We're also seeing, um, you know, a number of players in the policy admin space. These are SaaS providers who are selling policy admin software to carriers, and they're effectively, you know, moving everything over into these new SaaS systems. Uh, and there are a number of those that we've seen uh, having quite a bit of success. So there's definitely a move in in that direction, but there's not a a, a silver bullet, so to speak. And I agree with you that as a as a startup, you assume that, you know, well, it's really easy. Why don't we, why don't they just use the tech stack that we have, but they have, uh, you know, it's built on top of uh, a lot of them are running DB2, COBOL, like from yeah. systems that were designed in the eighties and nineties. And like I was saying before, there are, 
there are big parts of those systems that everybody who actually implemented them and worked on them is no longer at the carrier and they, maybe they weren't documented. So it does a whole lot of things that they don't necessarily know what all of them are. So it's it's pretty risky to just sort of say, well, we're just going to scratch this and, and start over and we'll, we'll, you know, build it on AWS with like a, you know, with, in Python, and we'll, you know, Postgres and we'll, we'll redo it all from scratch. Um, that's not a really viable option for a carrier to to do because the business risk is just really large. Mm. And like, do you ever envision a state, you know, you've touched on the low codes, um, the policy admin systems that can be plugged in and can transfer, but, you know, I'm assuming that's, that's a, you know, I don't know how long that process is. It surely must take years, but, you know, do you think the, is there, a, is there another way that you, you're kind of seeing where you can, you feel like there's a, a better way or a, basically a way where they almost can feel like they can start from scratch and really focus on, we've nailed the insurance part, you know, we're a multi-billion dollar company, you know, let's really let's really take the customer experience up a notch, you know, that give the give them the autonomy to to really innovate and, and disrupt as a carrier, as opposed to talking about insure techs disrupting, which is the obvious thing. Like mm -hmm. uh, apart from the kind of low no code plugins, are you, are you kind of seeing anything else that's quite interesting on your side? So I think the 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 challenge and, and you skip I think that you'll see this as these newer players that have entered the market scale up as well, is that because of the distribution channel, which is through the proof brokers primarily, and I at least personally believe that that will continue to be the case. Uh, you know, there are a lot of people who, especially five or 10 years ago, were saying brokers are going to just disappear. And that hasn't happened. If anything, it's become more important. Yeah. Because of that, and because of the I would say sort of the culture of insurance carriers. Uh, it's a very sales-driven culture uh, in yeah. many years, at least. And so what that ends up, what ends up happening then is they sell policies that have a, a lot of complexity in them, right? And they sort of will, a lot of times will sell whatever they can come up with that makes the client happy and gives them. So from that perspective, they actually are really prioritizing customer experience because they're selling you a very customized policy. It's exactly what you want. The problem is that they don't have a system that can actually implement that policy. So then they go, they have to put a bunch of band-aids on the existing system, and that really exacerbates the problem. So I think, you know, it, I, I would, it sounds good on paper to say, well, what we'll do is we'll just make a lot of really simple policies. We'll have like a really streamlined system. Everything will work perfectly. We won't make any exceptions, but I just don't think that recognizes the reality of how insurance is actually sold through the broker channel. And I yeah. think that, that that strategy will work to a point. But once you start getting to these big employers, they say, well, I'm going to switch from, you know, if I'm going to switch from one of these large carriers over to you, well, I need to have a policy that does exactly what I want. It needs to be broken up this way. And like all of these you know, complexity, it's pretty hard to say no to that. Right. So they'll end up, I believe, probably falling into this same pattern. Mm. And I think that's inherently why it's so different and difficult to innovate in insurance as opposed to um, financial services or banking fintech. Mm -hmm. You know, we've seen that spillover of, you know, fintech entrepreneurs and founders that have entered into the insurance where it's just not quite been as maybe successful for them as they would have hoped. And, mm -hmm. you know, when the insurance industry, certainly in the UK, but as a as a global as a global industry, when they became regulated, 
it was all at the core of the regulations. It's about when we take it back to the, the you know, there's a, a few values there, but treating the customer fairly. The consumer digital legislation came in in the UK, and again globally, it was act, about acting in good faith and 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 avoiding uh, serious harm. Now, I think that, again that all points back to customer experience. We've spoken about the the challenges that that carriers have um, and and continue to experience, but clearly there's a lot of positivity and and reasons to be excited. But for Ideon, you know what's been, and I guess for other players, I know you guys have. You know, really quite dominating in the in the space that you're in. So there's not many that are entering your direct space, but those coming in with that type of solution to the insurance industry, I think it's an interesting insight as to what's the biggest challenges for you and the team when you're working with these carriers and you're looking to innovate for efficiency and connectivity. Maybe not specifically in health insurance, but again, I think that interesting insight about what have been the main challenges for you guys over the years would be would be cool. So anytime that you're working with insurance carriers, like just getting their attention and establishing credibility is, is really difficult. The sales cycles are very long. They are by nature, uh, understandably risk averse organizations. They don't want to try out the new thing and be the first one to try it. It's like nobody ever got fired for buying IBM. Like that's very much the, uh, the culture. So that from a sales perspective was challenging getting started because we needed to, to get their attention. I think that as we've gone forward, some of the things I was talking about earlier where there's just a lot of complexity in their uh, in their ecosystem um, because of the way that the policies are structured, or because uh, I'll give you a couple of examples. We have some partners where they have certain certain group sizes are on one policy admin, right? So this is when we're we're sending eligibility. So if you're a group, you might have maybe you have a hundred people in your company, right? If you're a hundred people, that goes to System A, but if you're five hundred people, that goes to System B. And then if you have a disability product, well, the disability product needs to go over to system C, but you know your data might still go to systems A or B, depending on how many people you have for the rest of the policies. So there's a lot of complexity kind of behind the scenes there. And a lot of our role is actually abstracting that complexity away because you as the, as the Ben admin don't want to know about systems A, B, and C. Ideally, you'd like to just be able to send the data to one yeah. place and have it you know, get figured out and sorted into the into the right buckets and so on. So that's actually the the role that we play. So while it is challenging, it also is a lot of the value that we that we provide. Um, so it ends up net positive for us. Mm. You mentioned you know it's difficult to get their attention in this very you know I mean carriers have literally thousands of systems. You know, different systems that are talking to each other. You know. Uh, thousands of people trying to approach them to offer them a better solution. What, what do you, what do you feel like in this current market within kind of low code API development? What do you think it takes to stand out? You know, do you have to include AI in your strategy? Like, what do you feel like you uh, is is a way of standing out nowadays and getting the the attention of carriers? Like, what what are they looking for at the moment? So it it depends on on what 
specifically you're doing it. One of the things that's challenging in, in carriers is actually finding the right person at the carrier, because a lot of them have different titles for different sorts of functions. And it's a little bit hard to actually identify the right person. The things mm -hmm. that have been most successful for us, uh, one is working those relationships and working the org chart within the carrier to find the right person who is responsible for things related to us. Uh, it's also a very relationship-driven business. So a lot of our you know, partners at one carrier will move to another carrier, and then that gets us uh, a, you know, a kind of foot in the door at the second carrier. Um, so really establishing relationships with, uh, with, with people within the carriers. Um, within our sales team, we have uh, a ton of experience in the, in the carrier space and in the bed admin space. So um, those yeah. relationships are actually really important. Um, and you know, if you're building a, a company, the insurance space, I, I think, is is not um, as with probably a lot of spaces are not super excited for people who don't know anything about insurance to come in and tell them how they should run their business. So they're pretty sensitive to that, and you know, understandably so, because it's not as easy as you might think uh, as a technology person coming in. So yeah. having that kind of credibility and having some some people on your team who really understand the space. Uh, can speak to all the different challenges. Uh, it really helps, goes a long way once you start getting those conversations with carriers. Mm, interesting, interesting. And, and kind of to go back to what you said just before that about, you know, carrier, the challenges are very risk averse and it's getting the attention. You know, do you feel like they prioritize one thing over the other? One thing I wanted to ask in terms of innovation, you know, the many conversations that you have and, and the many partnerships that you have, do you feel like innovation is as important as keeping up with regulation for the carriers? Or do you think companies have to prioritize one or the other? Or are you, are you starting to see that in a more balanced view, innovation and regulation? Yeah, I think it's become more balanced over time. I think by nature, like I was saying before, carriers, they're risk averse and they see, I would say, on balance, they they value saving a dollar over making a dollar, <laughs> de-risking <laughs> over uh, over innovation. Um, so I think that that you know is understandably the culture that tends to be the case. I do think that there has been a lot of investment, and in you know especially in many of the carriers that we're working with on uh, innovative type of initiatives where they are looking out to say, all right, well, how can we provide a better user experience across the uh, the market? How can we be the easiest carrier to do business with? Which is, I think, really great and good for the consumer, good for the, the space in general. But I think if you... If you use the you know the uh, vitamin versus painkiller, the painkiller for the carrier is is usually something that mitigates risk. Mm, interesting, and um, you know, I was kind of wanting to speak to you before um around the kind of culture at and I think you've kind of gave us an insight there into what's been successful for you guys having that insurance domain knowledge. But you know, before we get into that, I was keen again, maybe not even related to health and benefits, but maybe what you're seeing from just the general, you know, what are you generally excited about in terms of, you know, any technology innovation? Is there anything that's, you know, last year, a buzzword of 2023 was, of course, AI. It will continue to be this year. But is there anything that you personally are kind of generally excited about from a tech innovation standpoint right now? Or maybe it does, maybe it is specific to health and benefits. I don't know. Sure. So I, I think... I mean, there's a lot of really interesting and exciting stuff going on with AI. I think the the generative AI has sort of put it into people's 
in the forefront of people's minds, but there's been a lot of interesting AI mm. development, you know, long in advance and ML, uh, long yep. in advance of that, uh, which is, you know, foundational for the, the gen AI stuff. So we, we actually have invested a, a fair amount in our AI capability and some ML capability around, uh, specifically looking at doctors who are in network, looking at their, their locations, which insurance they accept and using machine learning to predict, you know, how likely it is that data that's given to us or that we find uh, on the internet is correct or not. Um, that's actually proven to be to be really successful uh, and valuable. In terms of the Gen AI stuff, we um, there are not a lot as as many places in our business where non-deterministic type behavior, so like you know probabilistic, meaning if you give a uh, uh, you know, give some data into the algorithm, it will not necessarily give you the exact same result every time or the exact predicted result every time. That's actually generally kind of a bad thing for a lot of what we do, where they, you want, if you send me a person who's going to be enrolled, like you want to be to be enrolled 100% of the time, not 99.8% of the time, right? Um, so there's a little bit less applicability uh, within the product for us, where we're using generative AI quite a bit is, on the business side to summarize things, summarize documents for us to, uh, you know, start to write, you know, the the outline of a deck that we then fill in. Uh, because we have a lot of people on the team who are using it, it that way, but less so sort of in the product for us directly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think generative AI and, and you know, lang large language models as a whole are, are two very different things. And, you know, large language models of, I think for me, anyway, I've said it before, I do think they will be, the thing that really continues to transform the, the insurance space. But of course, I do think generative AI has its very quick advantages to what you've just highlighted there in terms of doing some heavy lifting um, from tasks that can take hours into, well, probably minutes, seconds. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, from a kind of cultural perspective, I was interested to jump in before we finish up, uh, Dan. And, you know, the culture that you've managed to build, first of all, you've built the business over the last uh, many years up to, I think, just over a hundreds. You know, the culture at Ideon seems one that is talked about a lot, you know, from reading online and, and just generally it just looks and feels like a fantastic place to work. Like, what do you think, how do you define, what what is culture to you? And, and I think, what, what, did you, what did you prioritize in the early days and, and manage to still you know, prioritize now as you scale to that kind of 100 plus mark, which is what a lot of companies always try and achieve. Yeah, I think that in terms of culture it, and the way that you cultivate a good culture, it changes pretty significantly as you as your organization grows and the the tools and the strategies that you need in order to maintain your culture are, are pretty different at, you know, from when you're five versus 25, 30 versus 50 versus a hundred, like those, those start to change um, pretty significantly. I think the main thing to me that defines a good culture is for people to feel like they have uh, some autonomy and the ability to make impact. And so that's something that we've always, we've always really prioritized in giving people clear goals uh, helping them to understand how what they're doing impacts the the overall success of Ideon of business uh, in general. 
Um, and then giving them enough autonomy in how they approach their their day to day that they feel like they're able to to really make an impact. Um, so that's sort of the like the guiding principle. There's you know a lot of ways that you can do that, and it's a little bit probably different for for every company. But I think that's the the, the guiding principle that really is is generally true across really any organization. Mm, it's just interesting when you talk about that autonomy that ability to make an impact and you know almost yeah definitely creating that you know element of psychological safety to still be autonomous and make that impact but when you get to you know I've been involved in it before you know a business that's 10 in size that goes to 100 over two three or you I think for me my experience was you lose that autonomy and mm -hmm. uh, and it becomes more I guess do as as we say to a degree like again you've clearly maintained that culture of autonomy and creativity and ability to make an impact even at mm. this later kind of larger scale which is which is super impressive thanks yeah i mean I, I think one of the one of the strategies that's worked really well for us is maintaining some level of cross-functional teams so having our ops team work very closely with product with work closely with engineering have sales involved there so that there's feedback loops within kind of smaller groups and allowing uh, you know where where we've i think had less success is when things tend to be more siloed where there's like the you know product department and then they throw it over the wall of the engineering department so that's something that we we consciously try to avoid and and has really helped as we've scaled up in, in terms of number of uh, people on the team mm. and what's what's you know final question what was next for for you and, and the team ideon i mean it seems like it's been the last couple of years changing brand and a bit of a restructure but now you're pushing on like what is the kind of future envisioned for you guys what are you excited about for the company yeah there's a lot of a lot of greenfield in what we're doing now so i think from a, a product development perspective it's really about continuing on the with the the current mission um to build connectivity across really a broad set of insurance use cases for the health and benefit space um and you know we're seeing continued signs that that's needed and and wanted and we have more and more customers signing up asking us to do more things uh you know better things uh and so there's really a ton of demand uh which is which is super exciting uh so you know i don't think that there is a uh, a big a big change in in strategy or anything like that it's really just just continuing to do what we do better and better um and to to solve the ultimate problem that we we set out to Awesome. Love it. Well, look, um, you know, good luck with the, the year, uh, Dan. Um, and thank you for, for coming on the show. It's been it's been great to have you on. All right. Thanks. It's been been great to be here.